0: Before we dive in let's pause and pray the lord would meet with us this morning god i do i come to you and ask that by your presence by your spirit you would meet with us this morning i pray that you would meet with every person in the room lord i pray for the believer in the room i pray lord that you would once again illuminate your word to our hearts And may the response of our hearts be just utter worship for what we read here this morning. What we see in the text. I pray for the unbeliever, Lord, perhaps invited by a friend, perhaps for whatever reason, though it might feel random, they find themselves in this room this morning. I pray that you would illuminate to their hearts, Lord. I pray that you would turn the lights on to the truths of your word, Lord. We would pray let there be salvation today through the preaching of your word, Lord, you by your spirit, be at work both in believer and unbeliever alike. We ask in your precious name. Amen. The psalm of the cross, we begin with the mighty king's cry. I want us to notice that this psalm is a psalm of a king. We look at verse number three. Where the psalmist says, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. You're enthroned. We look at verse 28. For kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. The glory of God's word is that a thousand years before Christ, before the cross, we have Psalm 22. The glory of God's word is that before there ever was a Rome... Before there was crucifixions, we have Psalm 22. Before any of that, we have this cry of a king. We know it's David. And yet, as I already said, David is a pointer. He's pointing to another king, a future king, a holy king is what he tells us here in verse verse 3. David is that street sign pointing us to King Jesus. And that's the point of the psalm. It doesn't live here in your Bible to say, wow, look at David. It exists in your Bible, David penning this psalm, to say, don't look at me. Look at the one who's to come. We could even say this morning that what David is doing is he's adventing. He's doing what we're doing this morning. As we heard from Christian on week one of our advent, he is the mighty king. How can we be so sure that this psalm is about Christ the King? Well, we can look at how Christ viewed Psalm 22. We can look at how Christ quoted Psalm 22. We can look at how the New Testament relates or speaks to Psalm 22. So we're going to do that really quickly. Um, before we do, keep in mind Christ grew up on Psalm 22. He grew up on the Old Testament. Christ knew Psalm 22, and Christ, well, he lived Psalm 22. And that's why he quotes it on the cross. So, verse number one says here in our text, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? And we can turn to Matthew 27. Where we read Christ on the cross about that ninth hour Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? We can look at verse number seven here in our text. It says, all who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. We can turn to Matthew 27 again where it says, and those who pass by derided him wagging their heads. We can look at verse eight here in our text. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Then we can turn once again to Matthew 27, where it says, He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him, for he said, I am the Son of God. Psalm 22, verse 15 My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaw, it means I'm dry. You lay me in the dust of death. We turn to John 19 where it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. Psalm 22, verse 18. They divide my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. John 19. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts. One part on each for each soldier, also his tunic. Psalm 22, verse 16, For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircle me. They have pierced my hands and feet. David is pointing to a future king to come. We can know that this psalm is about Christ because that's how Christ himself viewed this psalm. Notice as well, in this psalm, which is a little bit unique for the psalms, when there's a lament, there's often followed by the lament, A cry for forgiveness, a cry of repentance. No such cry do we see in Psalm 22, nor should we. Only our Savior has no need for such cry. The Psalm begins with a cry from a king. I thought you said he's a mighty king. Well, stick around. Do you hear the cry? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's an intense cry. And if you continue to read, why are you so far from saving me? There's a distance, there's a loneliness, a despair in the text from the words of my groaning. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, I find no rest. Intense grief, intense abandonment by God the Father. Christ on the cross was literally abandoned by the Father. I want you to feel the weight of that moment. And you might even, in feeling the weight, might, might, might begin to feel something of that cry. He says in verse 7 through 13 that enemies surround me. In verse 14 through 16 that his body is in pain and God is distant. He's communicating the loneliness. It seems even as if God the Father is uncaring in the midst of the suffering. Perhaps to some degree you've experienced this cry. It is the cry that doesn't understand how can our loving God idly stand by in the midst of our suffering. Have you ever cried out, Why? God, where are you, Lord? I have. If you have suffered, you probably have as well. But I love that this is not a cry that's without faith. He cries, My God. My God, why have you forsaken me? It's hard for us to imagine. Have you ever forsaken a friend? We live in a day where we take great offense when someone unfriends us on social media. Oh, the horrors, right? Consider Christ on the cross At his greatest moment of grief, as humanity's sin rests on his shoulders, and God the Father forsakes him, turns from him. We sing, the Father turns his face away. We wonder, what has happened to bring about that moment of human history? What great thing has Jesus done to deserve the Father's rejection, forsaking? It reveals the greatness of our sin. We think so little of our sinfulness. We're always minimizing, blaming others or blaming circumstance this psalm calls us to recognize this psalm corrects our view of sin this psalm helps us understand that our sin is no small thing the father is forsaking the son because of our sin it's a big deal Nonetheless, he knows. Verse four, he knows of God's faithfulness to God's people. It says, "In you, in you, our fathers trusted; they trusted, and you delivered them." He knows personal God's personal faith, faithfulness. Verse five, to you they cried and were rescued; in you they trusted and were not put to shame. God remains faithful in the midst of our suffering. And he remained faithful to Christ even at that greatest moment of suffering. But let us be very clear, this psalm goes well beyond your suffering and my suffering. Anything that we've experienced in this life doesn't even begin to compare to Psalm 22. What does it mean when Christ cries out on the cross, God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It means that at that moment, He is fully bearing your and my sins. It means that he became sin who knew no sin. It means he's atoning for our sin. It means he's taking our place on the cross. Dying in our place for the sins we've committed. It means he is literally clothing himself in our sinfulness. Christ, the sin, sinless one, clothed in our sin. As if he himself had committed sin all those sins. All my thoughts, deeds, actions. It means the Father is rejecting the Son because holiness and sin do not mix. It means the Son is alone bearing our sin. No, friends, we cannot relate at all to this cry on the cross. Praise be to our, to our God, if you are a genuine follower of Christ, you will never know this cry. You will never fully know the Father turns his face away from you. You will never fully know, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because you are saved in Christ. Christ. Because Christ took your sins, because your sins became as if they were his sins. That is why there is the cry. And that is why you will never utter this cry. Church, he's a mighty king. He's a mighty king. The king left his throne to be born in a manger and to one day grow and then one day die, and be rejected by God the Father. What kind of king does this? What kind of king steps down from his throne to live among vile and wretched people? What kind of king plummets to such depths that Christ himself cries out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The kind of gracious, loving King that willingly lays down His life for all that are His. I want to repeat for the sake of clarity. Friends, if you are not a follower of Christ, hear me. Christ bore this grief so that you would not have to. But hear me, if we continue in sin, If we die not trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, God must turn his face away from you as well. You will know this cry. Hear me. I'm not saying to everybody in the room, you will never utter this cry. It's what we call hell. On judgment day, Those who are not trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of their sins will know this cry. His holiness demands it. For him not to do so is to not be God. So here we have God the Son not just dying on the cross. As horrific as as a cross was, he's not just suffering because Crosses were brutal. They were. A lot of people suffered on a lot of crosses. This one, however, was unique. This one was not only physically painful. This one was God forsaking because of our sin. Listen, if that were your son or daughter, if you had the opportunity and the ability to rescue your son or daughter, You would. Could God have rescued the son? Absolutely. Did he have the ability? Absolutely. Why didn't he? Because he loved you. He didn't rescue his son because he was rescuing sinners. That's why he sent his son. If he would have rescued his son, he would be damning you and I. Christ was condemned so that you and I would not be condemned. So the king, it says in verse six, became a worm. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. Of this verse, Charles Spurgeon says this verse is a, is a miracle in language. How could the Lord of glory be brought to such a basement as to be not only lower than the angels, but even lower than man? What a contrast between I am and I am a worm. Yet such a double nature was found in the person of our Lord Jesus when bleeding upon the tree. He felt himself to be comparable to a helpless, powerless, downtrodden worm. Passive while crushed and unnoticed and despised by those who trod upon him. This church is your mighty king. Advent with me. The mighty king is returning. Number two, the mighty priest prays. Verses 11 through 12 records the prayer of the king. Last week, week two of our Advent, Josiah preached the mighty priest. And the Old Testament priest went to God. That was his role. He would go to God on behalf of the people. He was a mediator. The people, in their sinfulness, were not able. They were not simply not able. They were not allowed to draw near to God, the holiness of God. That was the role of the priest. They needed a go-between. They needed someone who would mediate on their behalf, bring sacrifices on their behalf before God and plead with God on behalf of sinful people. But once again, we heard it last week that every Old Testament priest, two weeks ago, every king, Old Testament king, was with sin. We have imperfect kings and imperfect priests. And that's what we see on the pages of our Old Testaments. It was an issue of the nearness of God, and the holiness of God. There's a reason why Psalm 22 is so despairingly lonely as he bears our sin. And so the Old Testament priest was was there to bridge that gap. And so when we see in verse 11, Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. It's this cry for the nearness of the presence of the Father. Josiah made it clear last week that You don't need a human priest. Why would you go to a lesser priest when you have the great high priest, who is Jesus, who invites us to come to his throne room of grace with confidence? Why? Because of Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Here's what's happened on the cross. The king, Jesus, is mediating. The king, if we could say, is priesting. He's sacrificing himself. He is the sacrifice and he is the priest at the same time. And he's going to God. He's mediating. He's going to God on our behalf, on sinful man's behalf. He's priesting. He's making nearness possible. He's bridging the gap. But this is no sinful priest. He is without sin. And that's why his sacrifice is ultimate. And why we don't need to re-sacrifice. He's being forsaken. So that you and I will not be forsaken. He's doing verse 11 on our behalf. So Paul to the Romans says it like this. Who is to condemn? Jesus Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who is raised? Who is at the right hand of God? Who indeed is interceding for us? Christ Is interceding for you. The mighty king, mighty priest is interceding for you. Sin separates, and Christ's atonement draws us near. You know, do do you know why you're gonna make it? Do you know why the follower of Christ can rest assured in their salvation? because of who does the interceding for you it's because the great high priest is interceding for you it's because christ mediated on your behalf before a righteous holy god and is mediating his priesting got it done got what done he got your salvation done he left nothing undone there's nothing left to mediate there's nothing left for you to do to accomplish right standing before the father. You simply need to respond to what he's already done. How do we respond? We respond in faith. We respond in trust. I trust you for my salvation that your work on the cross accomplished what you set out to accomplish. He is a mighty king. He is a mighty priest. Advent with, with me this morning. The mighty king is returning and advent with me this morning. The mighty priest, your mediator, is returning. Number three, the mighty savior's hope. It's verses 22 through 31. And it should be, I would encourage you later on, read the entire psalm in one brief sitting. And just maybe circle number 22. You you should feel something there. There's a shift there. It's a hinge that takes place there. It's so, the, the, the text is so despairing until you get to verse 22. And you begin to hear something quite unlike, my God, my God, why? Verse 22, you start to hear things like, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. Like, I'm going to praise you. Hey, let's all praise him, is what he's saying there. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised um, or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. And it goes on, and maybe we'll have a chance to read some more. He's the mighty king. He's the mighty priest. He's the mighty Savior. These last verses are just loaded with hope in Christ, the mighty Savior. Meaning he's, he's not the Savior of wishful thinking. No, he's the mighty Savior. He's not the Savior who's, who's going, I wish I could save Tim. He's just beyond my salvation. No, he's the mighty Savior. He doesn't look at your sin and go, oh, Wow. I'm not sure I can handle his sin or her sin. That seems a bit much. No, that's a misunderstanding of the greatness of our Savior. He's a mighty Savior. Friends, your sinfulness is no match for the mighty Savior. But we think like that. At different times, people have said, Tim, if you only knew all that I've done. And I like to reply, friend, if you only knew my Savior's forgiveness. We build too big of a mountain out of our sin. The hill called Crowvery is a far bigger mountain than your mountain of sin. How big is your God? How big is your Savior? How big is his forgiveness? And so the shift here in verse 22 might leave us thinking, am I reading the same psalm? What just happened here? The cry of verses 1 through 10 gives way. It yields to the praise of verses 22 through 31. And the prayer of verses 11 through 21, again, yields. It gives way to the praise of verses 22 through 31. Or we could say it like this. The death of Christ on the cross on Friday gives way. It yields to the glorious praise of the resurrection on Sunday. Watch the rippling effect of the worship, the praise, the awe that rises out of the suffering, out of the grief and despair. He goes from verse 22, I will, to verse 23. Join with me, you who fear. And then he just takes us global. Verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust. Even the one who could not keep himself alive... Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. The whole world and the generations will gather in praise of him. Verse 30. No, friends, we're not awaiting Christmas day that's not what we're adventing it's not i can't wait for that christmas morning to wake up we have got presents and food and i love it all i'm a christmas junkie i love christmas morning i love that waking up i love hugging the family i love Christmas breakfast. I love Christmas Day, all the food and snacking nonstop and being together and opening the gifts, and it's a great day. But that's not what we're adventing. That church, that's far, far too small of an advent. When we advent, what we're saying is we're awaiting the return. Of a mighty king, mighty priest, mighty savior who will come again. It's the psalm of the cross, a psalm of suffering, and yet it's a psalm of deliverance, and thus it's a psalm of worship. Mighty king, verse 28. Mighty priest who prays and goes to God on your behalf, verse 24. Mighty savior. Verse 31, suffering gives way to the glory at the cross of Christ. And so church, today we advent as we consider Christ came. But hear me, don't stop there. He came not to show himself to be the cute swaddling baby in the manger. He came to be pierced, to be crucified. To die on a bloody cross. He came to rise from the grave. He came to one day come again. And so David and all the Old Testament saints are adventing. And their advent is they're awaiting the first coming of the king, priest, and savior. They're waiting for Luke 2. They're waiting for that moment when the angel announces good news of great joy. And we take this same psalm and we are adventing today. Christ will come again. So again, verse 31, they shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn that he has done it. He has done it. Christ said it a little bit different. Quoting Psalm 22 on the cross. How did he say it? It is finished. He has done it. It is finished. Advent with me this morning. The mighty king is returning. And advent with me this morning. The mighty priest, your mediator, is returning. And advent with me this morning. The mighty savior who is not wishful thinking. No, he gets it done on our behalf, is returning. And so the hymn writer got it right, speaking of Christ's first coming. Can you imagine the scene? You think of Luke 2 and the glory in which we read Luke 2 when the angel makes that announcement? Imagine with me. There will be a day when there will be another announcement, and it will come with trumpets sounding, and Christ's return. So the hymn writer writes of that first coming, a thrill of hope, a weary soul, what, rejoices. (laughs) Yeah, they did. And yeah, they do. (laughs) For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn Fall on your knees Oh hear the angel voices Oh night divine Oh night when Christ was born Oh night divine Church We advent this morning Your Christ your savior Your king priest and savior is returning Let's stand together and let's sing to him the worship of our hearts.